Hello, I'm Ben Lindsay, CEO and founder of Power to Fight, and welcome to Power Talk, talks that empower you to impact youth violence in your context. Power Talks are short, powerful interviews from leading youth violence experts, spreading new ideas and sharing best practice. Today, we have Pastor Ephraim Buckle from Ecclesia Church, Youth Pastor Leo Powell from Jubilee Church London, Pastor Joe McNamara from King's Church London, and Youth Pastor Jerome Rudder from Emmanuel Gateway. They will be discussing part one of a three-part series on the church response to the increase in youth violence. Thank you for joining us for Power Talk. It's really good to have you guys here. I think it'd be really good if you, we could just start from my right, just introduce yourself, what you do, all that type of thing. Um, I'm Ephraim. I am a pastor here in Lewisham and also um, the proprietor of a, an independent school, um, which is an alternative provision for young people at risk of exclusion called TLG Lewisham. Last one. Yeah, Joe McNamara, uh, pastor, also King's Church, uh, a site in Downham, um, involved with helping out about youth work, also involved with New Day, which is an event, a youth event for 7,000 young people in the summer. Uh, quite involved with that as well. Leo, um, from Jubilee Church, Enfield. I'm a youth pastor there, and I also work in the local secondary school doing behaviour work, so intervention work with 11 to 16-year-olds, yeah. Yeah, cool. My name's uh, Jerome, and um, I'm a youth pastor in a church called Emmanuel Gateway Church in Lewisham, and I lead a youth ministry called Fearless. Excellent. Um, so, basically... What I want to try and get out today is the church response to the youth violence issue. We all know that there's been an increase in youth violence over the last like, couple of years, this year in particular. You know, we've had 100 homicides, many of them have been uh, young people. But what I see around this are all people who are pastors of churches, but I know are doing some amazing work with young people in your context. Um, but before we get into that, It'd be great just for us to have a little bit of a conversation of why we think this, this increase is happening. Like, what is it? I mean, some of the people who may well be watching this may be quite naive to what's going on. Some may well be, know a little bit more. But it'd be great from a church perspective, what do you see? And um, yeah, you know, be as honest and as open as, as you want. So I don't know who wants to kick us off. I'm not, I've got no, I'm, I'm not partial, so you know. So whoever wants to... So the question is, why the increase? Yeah, like, what do you think? I mean, you've been working with young people for years. I mean, what is it you think is, is going on? Why the sudden, has it increased? Maybe that isn't... Even... Yeah, that's, that's, that's a very good question, actually. I think that the increase is more... Um, it's, it's more publicised. And so people are more aware, their perceptions of the issue um, is more acute at the present time. I think that this is something that's gone on generation after generation, to be fair. Um, different contexts, um, you know, different, different um, victims, if you like, um, and different perpetrators. So, um, you know, somebody said, you know, you could go back to mods and rockers, punks and skinheads, da, 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 you know what I mean? And so I guess, there is a general sense of um, young people seeking identity, seeking um, autonomy, 
Um, and often where that's not supported and facilitated in terms of them being invested in, them being supported, them being valued, um, them being provided for. We forget often with like in this situation, we're dealing with so many young people that are minors, they're under 16s, mm. that are involved in hardcore issues of crime. And they are dependents. Who is providing for them? Who is, you know, supporting them? Who's guiding them? And so there are so many pressures on the family. Um, there are so many social pressures, so many cuts as far as provisions for young people, so many cuts in schools. And so we see all of these forces and factors coming to bear. Um, I mean, we could go deeper than that and take it down to the, 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 the fundamental issue of um, a f fundamental godlessness where... You know, people say, oh, this is like a God-forsaken place. All of these issues happening. And it's like, hold on. It's not that God's forsaken this place, but this place has forsaken God. Mm. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and where people have chosen to give themselves to other ideologies. In reality, if you have um, uh, an atheistic outlook that says we evolved, then life has no meaning or purpose, no matter how you slice it. And so when you're telling young people that, they have, their, their, their origin is random and their life has no bigger picture and there is no one to whom they're ultimately accountable, then don't be surprised when the outcome of that is they don't value each other's lives yeah. and, and, they, and they don't respond <clears throat> to authority. But, and, it, and I agree with you, obviously, but it does feel that this is a bit different to what even... I experienced, or many of us might have experienced when we were growing up, so, you know, we're not going to reveal everyone's ages yeah, and all that type of stuff, but definitely when I know when I was growing up... I'm 15, bro. <laughs> and so the high top is still strong. <laughs> I, can't get, I can't get away with that anymore, man. <laughs> nah. But um, it, it, it feels different. Um, they, they, I'm not saying there wasn't knife crime or violence when I, I, mean, I grew up around South East London. I went to school around there. I grew up at a time when Stephen Lawrence was murdered. So I know what was going on. But this feels completely different to anything I've experienced. And I don't know if there is reasons for that or maybe, maybe I'm blind, maybe it hasn't. Yeah, I think part, part of it might be is the level of, or the lack of hope. That I think there is an apparent... There, an apparent lack of hope when we look around and we see, uh, and I think it's gone from boys who 15, 16, 17, being stabbed and in, involved in this type of stuff to 11, 12, 13 year olds. Not just boys now, but now we're moving to girls. And I think that, that it just feels like, whoa, for boys, maybe we could understand why it went that way. But now girls, we're seeing girls are being, um, victims of I mean, violent crime and it's also being publicised. So I feel like there might be a, a lack of hope across our nation and a, a lot of that is because of the political climate as well um, in terms of how things, the foundations of our society seem to be eroding at a ridiculous rate and so people, they don't have anything to claw onto in this chaos. Um, and so I think, yeah, maybe 15, 20 years ago, some of this stuff was happening, but 
people still had hope that there was a brighter day or is something else can rise up and let's focus on the next generation. But now um, people are actually verbalizing, this is a lost generation. Forget these guys, they're, they're, there's no hope for them. Move on to, to something else. And so I think that verbalizing of no hope has, I feel, really made the situation seem I think there was a, for me, there was a change, and you and I spoke about this before, Ben, 2011, when the London riots occurred. Since then, for me, there's been a noticeable change, particularly in the media attention that's been given to it, and labels like that around young people being, you know, lost, or people kind of hyping around the issue of youth, youth violence. And, and I think there's... I think we'll all agree there's, there's multiple... You know I mean, there's not it's one thing. There's not, there's not one... Oh, it's because of this. And I think some people, sometimes they try to say that it's because of this, but it's a combination of, you know, cuts, loads of cuts to frontline youth workers, to youth clubs, to authorities working with young people, to schools, um, lack of training and understanding of the issues in schools. And, you know, I've worked in schools myself, and there's just a lack of training, lack of understanding of the young people they're working with. Mm you know, um, issues of, of poverty, you know, in certain places of the country, yeah. and young people lack choices. So I think there's a, there's a combination of all these things yeah. that, you know, have, I guess have heightened it and have, have driven a lot of young people into that. And then social media has mm. obviously not helped at all. You know, mm. a lot of young people are exposed yeah. to things they're not previously yeah. exposed <clears> to. <throat> we're, every issue, yeah, every issue that happens, we're aware of it. Yeah. People can act easily access these things. People are being, you know, people are witnessing trauma that they've not yeah. previously ever seen. Um, you know, witnessing people being stabbed or beaten up on social media. They wouldn't have seen that before. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But now they, they can see that, you know, 2,000 miles away. Mm. They're not even there. Do you know what I mean? And that's affecting them. So, yeah, I think there's loads of reasons. And I think it serves to contribute to the normalization of the behavior. Yeah. So young people become desensitized because as it escalates, and it's so easily um, shared and promoted and publicised um, through their own personal audiences. You know, they've got their followers, they've, they've, you know, they've got um, the, those people who are connected to their, their social networks. And so they don't even have to go through gatekeepers anymore. It's not like back in the day, if you wanted to kind of blow, you had to get on Channel U, and, you know what I mean? And you, you kind of had to make the cut and whatever. But now everyone's a star in their own front room. And, you know I, and, I, mean? and I think that's a, I mean, that's a massive point. I mean, there's, I won't name people, but there are people who we know who went through that lifestyle of suddenly they're on YouTube yeah, yeah, and they've got 200,000 followers mm. and they can't walk down the high street. Mm. And everybody knows them, but they're not making the money. They haven't got the protection of like a Jay-Z or Kanye. Mm. It's not that. Mm. And um, people can't distinguish what's reality uh, and what's, what's fake. I mean... I think, that's a good, I, yeah, I think that's a good point. I think what you're saying is what Ephraim about it being generational because you're seeing a, a younger generation that are looking to the older generation. So the second generation is looking to the first mm -hmm. and they're seeing what they were doing previously mm -hmm. or at that time. Mm -hmm. And they're thinking, okay, look, we want to be like them, but actually we want to get a bigger name True. than these guys. But it's not just that. It's, it's the communities that they're in mm -hmm. and what they're surrounded by, what they're influenced by. Because you could have a guy who's brought up in a home with uh, both parents in a home, mm -hmm. in a good home. Okay, the area might be, you know, difficult area, mm -hmm. 
but there's that draw of this certain lifestyle. There's a draw of wanting to belong somewhere. So if these kids want to belong somewhere, it's not gang, it's friends, it's family, it's a belonging. It's saying, okay, look, I've got some people that like me, they're getting loved and cared for by those who really, we don't want to be loving and caring for, but that's where the church comes in, whereby we should be the ones who are loving and caring for these young people, show them a different way. But here's the thing, I, mean, I think that's a great point that you brought in the church. Um, we're all pastors in, in, in different settings, but um, obviously you, you guys, including myself, we, for various reasons, whether it's our own experiences or whether it's the, the jobs that we've done in previously, we're a little bit more clued up about what's going on. But I think we probably would all agree that average church pastor, vicar, um, is probably not in the position to be knowledgeable about what's going on. So, you know, like I said, there's many people probably watching this who are thinking, okay, I'm coming to get a little bit of education about what's going on. What would we say to the, the, the church pastor? I mean, I can imagine that like, my mum's church pastor probably has no idea about what's going on with youth violence and stuff like that. What can we say to them? What's the type of thing we we're going to be talking to? What do we expect from churches in, when this is all going around? What can they do? I, th I think Leo said something, you said a word, he said belonging. And I think um, we have to start when it comes to senior pastors with the things that they might understand in their own context, where we talk about church as a family and my brother and sister and all of those types of things. And I think trying to help church leaders, senior leaders understand that the same way that this setup works, some of the values that underpin uh, this setup in terms of belonging, friendship, um, having a common interest. It, it isn't just, just the church that works like that, it's humanity. And so what we are seeing in terms of outside of the church in youth culture and serious youth violence and all of those things is young people finding an alternative family. And I think that's where we might have to try to start trying to get senior leaders who might not be clued up on who's the local gang in the area, who's the local, do you know what I mean? And yeah, that's a good, I mean, that's a good point. Are, is, are there kind of steps before we start talking about gang matrix and, and, yeah. and blah, you know, that, yeah. you know, you're right. Is there some way that, is there ideas? Whatever the past, whatever area as well, I think the first thing you always want to tell them is, you know, so I've said this before, don't believe everything they're seeing in the media because I've met a lot of pastors who are getting all the information about youth culture and what's going on from, from what they're reading in, in the papers or seeing on the news, and it's, and it's not the full picture. So I think a big thing is, for me, is always trying to break ignorance and learn. Do you know what I mean? So just those that are willing, firstly, some of the pastors that I know haven't got a clue about some of these things, but they're, they're willing to learn. They want to have a dialogue. They want to sit down. They want to try and understand some of the issues, sit down with people, get to grip what, what are the real issues What's at stake, you know, to really see how they can have an impact as a church, how they can get involved, um, you know. And then I think from there, wherever you are in the nation, you're going to have young people that are aware of these situations. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes they think it's only in the cities, but it's not. We know it's not. We know with things like county lines. We know with other things that there's going to... Do you know what I mean? There's young people all over the nation. I think it's an important point. We, 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 you know, statistics will tell you, even though the media like to kind of have the black person, black male, Bella Carved up, um, 
listening to a particular type of music, drill, whatever, as being the problem. But we know actually that, you know, I joke about it, but I don't know many black people in Scotland yet. That's not true. Obviously, there are black people in Scotland. But, uh, you know, in 2005, Glasgow had the highest knife crime yeah. in yeah. Europe. Yeah. So something you said earlier on about just Ephraim, how there is a, there's a deeper-rooted issue. And I, I think there's a, a, there's a nihilistic so my thing is, if, if violence is going on all around you, <clears throat> if music's becoming more violent and computer games are becoming more violent and TV's becoming more violent and films are becoming more violent, then you can't expect everybody else to just be calm. Everything's going to go through the roof. So I think it's really important what you just said there, Joe, but I think it's also important to know that this isn't just a black no. problem. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, in this borough, there's young white kids who I've mentored who have been murdered and therefore it's really important to, we can't just pigeonhole this type of situation. No, no, and, and, and you know, two of the young people that I know personally that have been involved, connected to our church, involved in county lines, that's going outside of the borough to be involved with drug-related stuff are, are two white, white boys, individuals from good homes, as, as, do you know what I mean? And one of them, especially a good home by it. So it's more complicated than simply thinking, ah, oh, it's going to be a young black guy from a single-parent family. It's not, it's not that simple. And maybe, you know what I mean? that, maybe that is the reason why there is a sense of increase, because now it, it's, it's not discriminate. It's just literally... Or is it, though? Because, oh. because my, my next point is that there is the flip side to that, where the statistics will show that specifically in the bigger cities, yeah. like London, there is a disproportionate amount of black children, and we have to use the word children, uh, who are being caught, caught up in this. So the challenge, I think, for me personally, with, with church leaders and anyone involved in this, it's not just a black problem, yeah, but on the other hand, there is a disproportionate oh, amount yes, of yes. black lives being lost yeah. to this, yeah. and you've got to hold that tension. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I suppose leading on from that, because I don't always just want to focus on the negative side of stuff, Part of the reason why we've got all you guys here is because you're all doing stuff at a phenomenal rate and different things which are really helping to impact the youth violence issue. I just wonder if we, each of you want to just share a little bit about some of the things either you're doing now or things that you've done in the past where you can be like, you know what, we've, we've set this up or we've, we're doing this currently and we're seeing a change. Because I think this is the other thing which church leaders in particular who are thinking, how do I get involved? What can I do in my community? I think this is an opportunity to share best practice. Don't be shy. Who's... So, yeah, so we, so Jubilee Church, Enfield, obviously we're basing in the heart of Enfield in, in a cinema, um, but we have a, a good youth group that comes along on a Sunday morning specifically from like 11 to 1 of around 200 young people from the borough. And this is from all walks of life. They're coming through, uh, not just the Christian or with the Christian family. We're getting all types of young people that come into our group. Um, and, you know, we're seeing change. We're seeing people that uh, are caught up in different things in society, where they, whether they're caught up in, in, in the drugs or they're kind of on the periphery of gangs. And, but you get the ones who are kind of been grown up in the church as well. So you get a good mix. And I think for us as a church, we offer a, a safe place for young people to come. I think that's important. 
based upon statistics. I'm not Ben like statistics and everything. But the youth violence, um, the 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 violent youth violence commission. I think the interim report. It, it was talking about um, statistics from young people that were surveyed, saying that 16% or so um, said that their home wasn't a safe place for them. Their own places that they live are not safe places. And that was, when I read that, I said, well, this is, this is crazy. So for me, the church and, and our church specifically, I know your churches as well, offer a safe place for young people to come on a Sunday morning till the afternoon. Uh, and we, whatever we try and put into these young people's lives and how we pastor them, we better their communities, their homes, their friendship groups, etc. Yeah, so that's like 200 yeah. young people yeah. in Enfield yeah. uh, engaging in your church. Yeah. Uh, what type of stuff are you doing? Yeah, we're just, you know, we're just, it's, it's, a spe it's specifically for young people. So they'll come into a screen and, you know, we, we have a DJ there that, you know, plays some songs and, you know, clean stuff, by the way. But, you know, it's songs that they can relate to. And we, we, we don't just make it like a, you know, church service, so to speak. You know, you come in and you're rigid and you sit down. They get to get involved in games. Like, we do a couple of games as well. We have a youth worship band as well. So they're seeing young people, their own age group, using their talents for the good, you know, and that's, that's, what, that's what makes me happy because yeah. they're seeing their own people from the same area, mm. same type of people, but just doing real good, you know, and uh, the message is a gospel message. It's a gospel message of peace, yeah. yeah, love and joy, and that's what Christ taught us and we're trying to teach them. Jerome. Man, yeah, it's pretty hard to follow that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, so we, um, yeah, based in Lewisham and for, for us, like, our purpose, like, in our youth ministry is um, to change the narrative of every young person by connecting them to the love of Jesus. Because mm -hmm. we know that everyone's got a story, do you know what I mean? And everyone's story has loads of different um, factors and, and contributing and all those type of stuff. So that's like our heart. So one of the things that we do um, once a month, so we provide a space on a Friday night, very much like what Leo was saying, a safe space. Um, like I'm a dad and so, um, family is really like key in my life and I think that young people just they need family they need a place where they can belong a place where they have adults who are positive role models um, as I was talking about the cuts of youth services and I mean I know growing up going to youth clubs you it was available like positive role models were easily available and even if you saw him or her once a week it was still a po another positive role model yeah. being able to speak into your life and so that's what we try to create so once a month like we know young people like food we, we know young people don't want to pay for food so we um we put on a meal every uh, once a on our last friday of every month and there's no kind of like we don't do loads about the bible we just realize that if you get food and if you have six young people around a table with a leader, it's a family yeah. and conversation. Yeah. How many young people are we talking? So on, usually on that night, because it's free, <laughs> yeah. um, it's like 90 young people nice. that well, we get. <laughs> and, um, and it's cool because like, we get people from the church to, to cook and stuff like that. And so there is this like multi-generational interaction that I think sometimes is missing. And that is, the, that is the, to some extent, the unique selling point of the church. That it's the one community where an 80-year-old and an 18-year-old will sit next to each other, where in a society that we live in that is increasingly polarised and is trying to drag people apart and put them in camps. 
the church is the one place under a common thing. And so we just realized, look, young people like food, and we play an episode of whatever is going on, Fresh Prince, Blackish, whatever, just to create that vibe of this is home. It's brilliant. And um, so that's one of the things that we do. Wow. So it's like 300 young people are taken care of in that corner. And, you know, in this corner we have... So Efran, talk to us about some of the stuff you guys do. Um, you know what? I can't even lie. It's... Um, I work with young people has been a persistent challenge. You know what I mean? So for many years we've worked in schools, um, going in and delivering sessions where we use arts as a mentoring tool. And we're, we're, we're trying to rewrite the narrative. We're trying to reframe the thinking. We're trying to help them engage with education through means that they're into, that, that appeal to them, and making the connection, building the bridge. Um, and so we've been doing that for a lot of years and had then had opportunity when we got our own building about four years ago to partner up with uh, an organization called TLG, Transforming Lives for Good. And they're a national education charity who work in partnership with churches to provide um, services for young people. Um, their primary um, initiative is um, our education centers. So we've opened an education center where we're registered with Ofsted. We're registered as an independent school. Um, we're taking referrals from local schools and we're saying, all right, send us those pupils that are at risk of exclusion those pupils that you're about to send to, take off your role and send to pupil referral unit. Knowing that statistically, once they hit pupil referral unit, they are, and they have increased um, statistical chances of going to jail um, or dying or both, you know what I mean? And so we serve as an intervention whereby we want to help the young people not um, shipwreck their academic career um, in some cases, we're able to help get them back into mainstream. In other cases, we're going to help them go on to college. Um, and in the process, we have a family support worker. And so it means that all of the young people that we work with, we have connections with not just them, but their family, so that we're able to begin to um, sow into the, the root issues mm -hmm. and provide support and so on um, and build those relationships. Um, and then, but that's, that's term time. What do we do in the, in, the, in the holidays when we see the spike in, in the, the, the serious youth violence because the young people have got nothing to do. And so we have begun to pilot a, a summer project um, where we're summer plug come, um, you know, we will use all of the art stuff, DJing, filmmaking, um, MCing and production and, you know, recording. Um, music videos and on and on t-shirt printing, all of those kind of things to say, um, you guys have got abilities, you guys have got talents, you guys have got potential um, that isn't defined by academic, academic achievement. Yeah, yeah. There's more to you than that. Yeah. Um, and it's all relevant and it's all valuable. Mm -hmm. And we want to invest in you and help you, you know, have a sense of worth and, and uh, have, be able to also be young people and enjoy yourself because so many young people don't even have that simple opportunity because they live in fear of stepping out of their door and getting stabbed. So where, where, are, the, where are the places that I can go and just be young? You know, we teamed up um, with a North London church and took a, a bag of young people away to a youth camp and we sat down there in the country and it was just like, whoa, just breathing deeply. 
And it wasn't because of the clean air, but it was just like, well, the freedom to be able to just be here and just have a laugh and it's no hype and there's no watching over both shoulders thinking, who's going to switch on me or who's going to want me to go and run something for them or just the freedom from all of that. They went country for the country. They went country for the country. But what's interesting, and we'll come to Joe in a minute, but one of the things which I think is fascinating, um, what you, like all three of you have said, but specifically around the school side of stuff. So we, we hear these terms, public health model, holistic model, uh, taking the Glasgow model, and you know, we've all got opinions on whether, what, whether that will work. And, but I think what we will agree is a joined up way of thinking. But one of the things, specifically is about this whole zero exclusions thing. This is the thing which happened um, in Glasgow in 2005 that had zero exclusions. Now, some churches, leaders watching this, I think it was the Archbishop of Canterbury recently uh, said something about how, uh, how church leaders and, and churches should engage with kind of politics and, and, and things like that. Um, I think what you're, you're doing, whether you, it's... Uh, obvious or not, is that you're engaging at the very heart of what local and central government want. They want alternative provisions. And I think what's fascinating is that some churches may not think like they can get involved in that. And I think the TLG model is an amazing, amazing thing. So I think that's it's a really mm. encouraging sign that churches can get right in the heart of where the problems are. Joe, you've got a hard act to follow, man. Yeah, you know, no, these look, you know what, I won't even lie because the our church, I think, have recognised that we certainly ain't doing all that we can. I think we're playing catch-up with how serious the issue is in our community and the call on us as a church to be involved. Mm. And I think, you know, as a church, even now, we're discussing what more can we do to fully engage. There is a few things that we do. So, Ephraim mentioned TLG. We've recently partnered with them as a church and provided them. One of the things that every church has, it's got the biggest volunteer network in the nation. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so one of the things that we, we've got quite a large church, we meet across the borough, you know, probably across our three, now four sites, probably talking about 1,500 people, so 1,600 people. So you've got, we've got people. And so TLG are fantastic. They've, you know, we partner with them. They train some of our, our volunteers and we've sent them into a local primary school to do early intervention mentoring, mentoring a bag of young people to just try and, you know, target. They've identified young people who they think will benefit from that sort of mentoring. And so we're exploring that as a church. We're piloting that this year, but we'd love to roll it out in more local schools in the area because one of the things that we do have is a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of volunteers that are willing to, you know, they want to help. Do you know what I mean? A lot of people you speak to, mm. They, they want to help, they just don't know how. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But if, if you give them, well, listen, you can do this, you can give up an hour a week to me. <clears throat> so we've started exploring that, which is going well. That's, that's started literally as, as we speak. Um, we run youth clubs, you know, on a Friday night, youth work in, in, in Catford and another one in Lee where we gather, you know, mm. again, similar 50 young people, or, you know, each one or something like that, you know, to, to, and we work with them. Again, a safe place for them. We run youth work on Sundays. We've worked with young, I work with a lot of young people from the church, just on the individual level. Mm. So me and, my, me and my missus, we gather people to our house, working with them, do you know what I mean? Opening the Bible with them, um, drawing them out of their context. And these are young people that are involved in, you know, they're right in the thick of it. 
Do you know what I mean? So, um, but for me, one of the big things we're trying to do as a church now, we've seen is, is, is the mentoring. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Working, working with young people, one to one, two to one, to really, do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's, it's huge. I think, um, again, uh, you know, yeah, so I like statistics. So here's one that I realised that basically, uh, recent statistics will show that there are 50,000 uh, registered churches in, in the UK. I think it's like 5.1 million people <clears throat> would call themselves Christians. Um, and out of those 50,000 uh, churches, 40,000 of them have their own church building. Yeah. So, you know, a few of us has mentioned austerity, mm. the closing of, of youth clubs. One of the things I think churches, churches can get in their heads that a lot of these churches are not really open yeah. Monday, to Friday between certain hours. You said that the church has got the biggest volunteer service. I think there's a massive opportunity for churches to get involved in being part of the solution to, to the austerity issue. My thing is, is that I just don't feel that every church leader or every church uh, average congregation member is skilled enough to understand the issues, is yeah, part of the reason why we're doing power to fight. Nice. But I think there's a, there's a few opportunities there. And um, I think probably we're coming up to a time where we, we're going to just close and then we'll do a part two. But um, I think what you've all said, if I'm watching this and I'm thinking, how do I engage? I think this is incredibly positive. I think this is just gives me hope. You know, we said you said earlier, hopelessness. But I think this gives me hope that actually the Church of Jesus, who's head of the church, it can be in the mix where we're saying we can actually be the answer to some of these like societal issues. So um, thanks for the first part. We'll get into a little bit more detail. I'm going to dig deeper into your histories and find out some bits and pieces. But um, yeah, we'll get into it in part two. Thank you.